Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Genesis chapter 3, we find the account of the fall of man. We find that the evil one came to Eve, and as he is a wordsmith, he's crafty with his words, he deceived Eve, and she came to Adam, and he took of the fruit, and he ate as well. And as Paul relates that, it says that Eve was thoroughly deceived. Adam was deceived, but Eve was thoroughly deceived by Satan. And then immediately, they knew they were both naked, and they were ashamed. So they ran, and they hid themselves, and they covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, the reason I say that is because covering is an important motif in Scripture. It's an important theme. It's important to understand covering. Adam and Eve knew that they needed a covering. They they recognized something about them that was different than before. They were uncovered. They need covering. So they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves. But that wasn't good enough. Beloved, in Genesis chapter 3, we are taught immediately that salvation is of the Lord. That if you are going to be saved, it's the Lord who must cover you. If you are not covered by the Lord, you are uncovered before Him and under His wrath and condemnation. You must be covered by God. God came to Adam and Eve and He covered them with animal skins. He provided the covering for them. Now, the animal skins was a type of the righteous covering of Christ. We saw that even in question and answer 19. Types in shadows. It was a shadow of the righteous covering of Jesus Christ. We need covering. Now, just listen to this. I've, I've got some scriptures I want to read to you dealing with this. And let me just say to begin with... Uh, a couple of Hebrew words that deal with covering. And the first one is kasah, and the second one is very much like that, is sakah. And they both mean, basically, to clothe, to fence in, to cover, to provide defense, to hedge in. So you've got the idea of what it means to cover, to clothe. The, the Greek term uh, epikalupto, and also kalupto, the uh, P on the preface just intensifies the word. It means to conceal, and it's also used to forgive. So embodied in the word covering or clothing is to provide something of forgiveness, to, vi- to provide concealment, to provide a covering. Now listen to what the scripture says. Um, Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and when they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Also, chapter 3, verse 21 of Genesis, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now that term there, the Hebrew term labesh, means to wrap around or cover on, put something on something. And it was God covering them with the type and a shadow of the righteousness of Christ in the animal skins. Now, I can't prove this, just my uh, conjecture, that that was lamb skins. They provide the type of 
covering that is needed in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the important thing is, is that it was a covering that God alone provides. Genesis 9.23, Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and walked backward, and notice, and covered their father's nakedness. So you could see Noah, he is laying there naked, and they covered him without looking upon his nakedness, as Ham had done, and they then covered him. Ezekiel 16. This is one of my favorite texts. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at that time for, your, for love. And so I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. The Lord provided a covering, a defense, a shield in that covering. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Whose sin is covered. Beloved, when Noah was covered by Shem and Japheth, he was no longer found to be naked. He was not uncovered. He was covered up, as it were. Our sins are covered. They're no longer in sight. Why? They have been cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. Beloved, we need covering. We need the covering of Christ. If we don't have Christ as our covering, you stand naked spiritually before God. You are under His wrath and condemnation. You must run to Him. You cannot trust in you. Whatever it may be, Don't strive to put on the fig leaves. Your righteousness, your philanthropy, your works, your giving, your deserving, you're doing these things. It's Christ. He alone has the perfect covering that we need. He alone places that on His people. Psalm 85.2 You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. James 5.20 Love will cover a multitude of sins. And same with 1 Peter 4.8. Love covers a multitude of sins. So, no longer exposed, but covered. Are you covered? Are you covered this morning? And you say, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm truly covered by Christ? Because He is all your hope and stay. It's on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that is your declaration. You come to Him for dress. Naked I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You know there is only one fount that can wash away your sin. And His name is Jesus. And you run to Him. Have you run to Him? Did you trust in Him? Are you thinking about, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I also think I need to do certain things, then you're uncovered. Because those that are covered know by the working of the Holy Spirit that when they have Christ, they have all that is necessary to salvation. Those that are covered by Christ are not looking for more. They're not looking for something else. They have what they understand as complete in Jesus Christ. Now, there are many things that we don't understand, but one thing we truly understand is that Christ is our salvation. That Christ has covered me with His blood. So, let's look to our text this morning. Starting, um, I want to look at uh, verse 61. Set some context here. 
it's, you realize there is Isaiah writing. Well, let me read this. I, I mentioned this as well. 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to this. With regards to salvation, verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what manner uh, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. What's the point? The Spirit of Christ was working in and through Isaiah. So when the Spirit of Christ working in and through Isaiah, and Isaiah penned these words, it is as if Christ is speaking through him. And this is what we find. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now we know from Luke chapter 4 that that is speaking about Jesus. That's exactly what he quotes in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus says this when he stands up in the synagogue and he reads these words. He says to them, these words today are fulfilled in your hearing. This is the Spirit of Christ working through Isaiah, prophesying of the glories that are to come. The glory of the Savior, the Bridegroom. The glory of the church that He redeems, the Bride. Beginning in Israel, extending through Israel now to the church where all the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ foreshadowed here, speaking about the glory of Christ, the glory of the church, and the wonder that the people of God receive in Jesus Christ. So, now that we understand who it is that is speaking, uh, let's look to this in uh, chapter 10, our text this morning. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Now, Christ Himself rejoiced in the Lord. Uh, The word Lord there, uh, the Hebrew word is Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, This is the eternal God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the divine God. The God that is exalted. The God that is high and lifted up. He is the God in whom we worship. And Christ in His humanity worships the Father. Now again, as I've said before, with regards to the person of Christ, there is a deep deep mystery there. With regards to the divine nature and the human nature. I understand that. But Christ in His human nature worships God in His fullness of being. It is much as is capable for a human nature to worship without sin and thus fulfilling all righteousness. He loved the Lord with all of His heart, soul, mind and strength. And He fulfills all righteousness in His human nature. You understand. It's the human nature that has fallen. It's the human nature that must fulfill. Christ fulfills that. And so he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. But this also applies to us as well, doesn't it? It applies to us as well as the church. As those that are redeemed. So you can find there is an archetype and also a type. There is the fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ and His church. And there is also the type in individual believers that are joined to the church. Let me ask you, do you greatly rejoice in the Lord? Now as Isaiah is penning this, you know Isaiah is rejoicing in the Lord as well. Isaiah is a redeemed man. 
When the Lord came to him to be a prophet to the nations, this is what Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory, and I am a man of unclean lips. He pronounces a curse upon himself. And the Lord took the tongs and coal from the altar and touched his lips and healed his lips and his mouth. And the Lord sent him forth as a prophet. The Lord covered him. The Lord cleansed him and sent him forth. And Isaiah rejoiced in the Lord. He rejoiced to see the things of Christ. Now, when you look at John chapter 12, who did Isaiah see in the temple? He saw the risen Jesus Christ in the robe of his train of his uh, the train of his robe extending in glory in the effulgence and that's who he saw and that's who he gloried in and so he greatly rejoices in the Lord Christ in his humanity greatly rejoiced in the Lord we beloved as the redeemed greatly rejoice in the Lord think about this Isaiah gives the the picture of one who was basically a baby that was born and cast aside to die in its own blood. You've seen it. I've heard it. I've heard it on TV and the news. I've heard it on radio broadcasts. I've heard of women having a child and then putting it in a plastic bag in its blood and throwing it into a garbage dumpster. I've heard it. You've heard it. Left to die in its own blood. And the Lord comes and He covers us. He washes the blood and He covers us with the righteous robes of Christ. This is why we greatly rejoice. I rejoice that all things are working together for my salvation. I rejoice that Christ is on the throne. I rejoice that nothing is out of control, no matter what it looks like to the naked eye, that Christ is the ascended Lord. He is the exalted one. He is the one who is ruling over all things for His glory and the good of His church. I rejoice in that. I rejoice that I'm part of the body of Christ. I rejoice that I have been united and joined to Christ and His body. I rejoice that all of my sins have been forgiven. For the sake of Jesus Christ, I rejoice greatly. Beloved, this is the church. We are to rejoice greatly. Even as Christ rejoiced in His Father, so we are to rejoice in our God. It is a real sad state when the church is not rejoicing. It is a sad state when the church is moping. It's sad when the church doesn't reflect upon the glory of Christ and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's a sad state because we are called to be those greatly rejoicing. Why did God redeem us? Peter speaks of that in 1 Peter 2. We are a holy nation, a separate people. We are a royal priesthood so that we might proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I rejoice that I'm no longer in darkness. I rejoice that I now know the truth. I rejoice that I'm no longer in the superstition of the world. I rejoice that I have the Word of God as the standard, the plumb line, to test everything else of whether or not it is true. I rejoice... That God has loved me from before the foundation of the world. Me, the one who is unlovely and unlovable. He has made lovely, is made lovable in Jesus Christ. 
Me, the one who deserves damnation. The one who has broken all the commandments of God. Who deserves to be cast into hell forever. Who deserves to suffer the inexpressible language, pains and terrors of God's wrath. God is redeemed. I rejoice. Do you rejoice? Do you delight to rejoice? Do you desire to rejoice? Do you seek to rejoice? Do you gather to rejoice, beloved? This is our calling as the people of God. To rejoice in the Lord. As the people that are in Jesus Christ. In Him. United to Him. We are to be rejoicing, singing, praising, exalting people. Exalting Him. He says, my soul shall be joyful in my God. Joy in the midst of trials. Joy in the midst of difficulties. You know that Christ was hated. He was despised. He was scourged. He was cast out. He was whipped. He was maligned. He was blasphemed. And then he was crucified. He was put to death. But then he rose again. And all that time, he was joyful in God. Some of the most miserable situations and circumstances on earth. And yet he was joyful in his God. You know, our our circumstances change. Things change from day to day. I mean, it's amazing how things can change so rapidly in a day. The crashing of the glass. The stopping of the heart. The clogging up of the veins. A stroke, a heart attack, it's cancer. All of these things that can come upon us in a moment in time, it seems. And yet we are called to be a joyful people in our God. I'm not always happy. There are times when I'm just, I'm not happy. I can feel it. I can feel that I'm not happy in my situation. Happiness has to deal with your circumstances, your happenstance, things that happen to you in this world. But there is an abiding joy that I'm in the hands of Christ, even through this adverse situation. And I can rejoice in my God. I can be joyful into that extent. The more I learn, the more I understand about God upholding all things by the word of His power, and that nothing befalls me by chance the more that my joy is stirred up and revived within me through even the most difficult times of life. And that's what we find with our Lord Jesus. That's how the church is to be. And beloved, we don't do it very well. We know we don't do it as we ought. Sometimes we just don't even do it. But this is the oughtness. And when you reflect back upon what great things God has done for us as His people, how can we not rejoice? When you think about God using the most difficult, horrendous things that have happened to you in your life for your salvation, how He does it, I do not know, but that He does it is a promise of His Word. And so I lay hold upon that and I can have joy in the Lord in that because as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength, beloved. It's the strength during trials. It's the strength during difficulties. It's the strength during adverse situations in your life. It's the joy of the Lord. Sing. Sing to the Lord. As we saw in 172 hymn, we sing even though fierce temptation bears down upon us. 
We are to be a people that sings joy to the Lord. My soul. The soul, the inward man. Uh, The psalmist often speaks to himself when he speaks to his soul. He speaks to himself. He meditates. He mutters. He speaks to himself. He's walking and talking to himself. And beloved, nobody talks to you more than you. You realize that, don't you? We're always dialoguing with ourselves. Sometimes we're conscious of it. Sometimes we're not. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you husbands are walking around mumbling. Your wife says, what did you say? Oh, nothing. Because you're talking to yourself. Talk to yourself about the things of God. Mutter to yourself the wonders and the glory of our Lord. Of His salvation. Of His cleansing. Because He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Now... You know that can't be talking about Christ. Christ doesn't get saved. Christ brings salvation. So this has got to be referring to as Jesus speaking about the church. And the church is to be clothed in the garments of salvation. Now notice this covering here. Clothed. Clothed, cover, covering. We are covered in the garments of salvation. From being elect before the foundation of the world to glorification, but with specifically speaking about justification, sanctification, glorification, we're covered in this garment. The garment that causes us to be able to stand before a holy God. Beloved, we are covered, we're clothed in Christ. What a garment. What a wondrous, glorious garment. This is how we stand. We come this morning... And we come, and some of us feel miserable today. Some of us feel sick. Some of us are hurting spiritually. Some of you are hurting physically. And we come, and we come with all kinds of problems. We come with sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful actions. And we come yet as covered in the garments of salvation. In our worship, as feeble, as frail, as sinful, as fragile as it may be, is covered in Christ and is accepted by God. What a wonder. Can we not rejoice? God accepts our worship, beloved. He accepts our partaking of the bread and the wine in remembrance of Christ as imperfect as it may be because we are those clothed in the garments of salvation. What a garment. There is nothing as beautiful as the garment of salvation. There is nothing on earth that displays the beauty that God has beautified His church with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. This is not literal, physical clothing. Spiritual clothing. He has robed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Zechariah the high priest, or Joshua the high priest, spoken of in Zechariah. He, he rebukes the devil. And he says, the Lord rebuke you. And he says, well, who are you? Look at how filthy you are. And the Lord takes off the filthy garments and covers him and robes him in white robes. I've covered your filth. Beloved, even as one who is redeemed, I have so much filth. I feel it. I can almost smell it. Sometimes I can't even stand the smell of me. You know what I mean? And yet he covers and clothes me with his righteousness. I stand righteous. I stand perfect in the sight of God, positionally, in Jesus Christ. 
I can't, I can't fathom that. That's a depth that I cannot plumb. It, it boggles the mind. Me, even me, the one deserving of damnation. He has beautified me with these garments. He says, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It's speaking basically of the same thing. They're synonymous. It's a Hebrew parallelism. He's speaking about the same thing. We, we have been covered with a righteousness. It's, righteousness is the right thing. It's the right thing to do. It's what God has said is right. We are right before God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are right before Him, beloved, because we've been clothed in Him. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's glorious. How could we not sing, hallelujah, what a Savior? How can we mumble praise to our God? How can we be indifferent about service to our God, study of His Word, prayer, worship, gathering, fellowship? How could we be indifferent? How could we be so dull-minded in these things? Because we are not reflecting. We are not embracing this as God has given us to us in His Word. We are not then reflecting and mulling over it and speaking it to ourselves. And it causes us to become dull. It causes us to become sluggish. This text here is that which revives us again. This is the text that causes us to wake up from our slumber. To wake up as the people of God. To go forth and proclaim Christ and His righteousness. That He does cover. That He does clothe. He saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful noise. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He decks the bridegroom, decks himself with ornaments. Christ fulfilled all the stipulations of the law. He decks himself in righteous ornaments. And notice, uh, just like a bride also adorns herself with jewels. Can you see it? Can you see the picture of a wedding? This is what it pictures. Isn't it interesting? Does the Bible begin with a wedding and it ends with a wedding? Weddings are important in Scripture. The wedding, the rejoicing that takes place. We have been wedded to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. He beautifies us. Think about this in Ephesians 5. He's washing us with the water of the word to present us spotless and faultless before the presence of his throne. This is what Jude said to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God be the glory. He's beautifying his bride. He's constantly washing his bride, walking in amongst the candlesticks, doing the work of washing the people of God, beautifying us. We're becoming more and more beautiful to Jesus Christ. It's just, it is a wonder of just getting that picture in your mind of what Christ does for his bride and how he loves his bride. Christ gives. We find that in Ephesians chapter 4. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave of the offices, apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers. He gave and He keeps on giving. Christ is giving to His church, beautifying His church. Beloved, the, the means by which we become more and more beautified is God's Word. And to the degree that we do not exercise ourselves in the word 
of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, we are in a sense spurning that love gift. Think about it that way. Christ has given us a glorious gift that washes and cleanses us. It beautifies us before the whole of the world that we're beautiful in Christ. We are, another good study for you to do, is the sweet-smelling aroma. It's spoken of in the Old Testament with regards to sacrifices. It's spoken of in the New Testament with regards to sacrifices as well. Living sacrifices that are now a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of our God. He is more and more making our living sacrifice a sweet-smelling aroma to our God. What a wonder. This is the adorning of the bridegroom to the bride. How are you doing in the Word? How are you doing in cultivating the Word of the bridegroom? The one who covers and adorns us. The one who washes us continually with His Word. Beautifying, cleansing, causing us to be more and more salty in Christ, being more illuminating in the light, Jesus Christ. How are you doing, beloved, in cultivating that, seeking that, glorying, rejoicing in our God, joying in Him even through trials and tribulations, even though they threaten to bear us down? He's called us to this. Now, notice with this beauty, there is an inward change. It's ineffable. The the regenerating work of the Spirit and the creating faith within to believe the promises of God and the change of the mindset of how you view God and the world and all things in it is ineffable. It is unexplainable. That one day you can be a God-hater and the next moment you can love the Lord. At one moment you can be persecuting the people of God and the next moment you're joining to worship with them. That is ineffable work of the Holy Spirit. And when that takes place, beloved, within an individual, then he innately desires then to tell others about this wonderful bridegroom that washes away all of our sins. And this is what Isaiah is saying here. For as the earth brings forth its bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord shall cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. That's the church and the beauty of the church bringing the wonder and the beauty of the gospel to the nations. Do you recognize that God is going to redeem, has redeemed and is redeeming people from all different tribes, tongues and nations of the world? While the world fights about color and ethnicity, the Lord is redeeming all types of people around this world. To one new man in Jesus Christ from all the tribes and tongues and nations of the world. And as the world fights about, well, they are of this race and they are of that race and we hate them and they're inferior. It's all foolishness. It's all founded upon the lie of Satan. There's one race, the human race, and there are different ethnic groups and languages and tribes and people. And God is making one new man in Jesus Christ from the multitude. What a wonder. The world is divisive and the gospel of Christ unifies. It brings together people that would ordinarily would not come together in this world. And how does that happen? As we preach the gospel. We go out into all the world and we be a people of proclamation, declaration, calling all men everywhere to repent and to believe on the only Savior who beautifies, who covers, who washes, 
who cleansed, and His name is Jesus. And when you believe in Him, beloved, you're covered. You ever hear that before? I got you covered. I got you covered. The meaning is that I've taken care of you. I've got you taken care of. Christ is God has taken care of. We're His. We're covered. We're beautiful in the sight of God. And in the presence of a watching world as a church that is militant, we are becoming more and more beautified in our Savior as He washes us with the water of the Word. Now go forth and declare it. Be a joyful, redeemed individual. Tell the nations, tell your family, tell your friends, there is a covering and His name is Jesus. And if you don't have Him, yellow, red, black or white, it doesn't matter. You're in condemnation in His sight if you're not covered by Jesus Christ. God provides it. God alone does it. And the church that responds demonstrates that our God is a wondrous, gracious God for calling us out of darkness, washing the filth from our souls and making us beautiful in His sight because of one, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Beloved, keep on looking to Him and declare Him, for He is our salvation. Amen. Shall we pray?